Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of Chance It. It's just Brittany today. Um, I actually have two very special guests for today's episode. I have Sierra Shinye and Kayla Swanson, my friends from New Orleans. In today's episode, um, we're going to kind of dive into us being New Orleanians. We're going to talk about kind of the gentrification that's been happening in New Orleans and how us as 20-somethings can get involved in the community and kind of transform or do something about all of the different (laughs) areas of inequity that's happening. So I want to go ahead and give you guys an opportunity to introduce yourselves. So my name is Sierra Shinyas, Brittany said, born and raised in New Orleans. In 2017, I created Nora Nola, which is a digital platform that's working to preserve the history, the culture, and soul of Black New Orleans. So a lot of that is through written work, creative projects, um, narrations, and just really like a, a conscious analysis of, you know, New Orleans past, but also the present and the future and really working to preserve our stories and have a better understanding of the value of our lives and our place in this place that, you know, is our home. Hey, everyone. My name is Kayla Swanson. I currently work with my family's insurance agency, and I've been there since 2018. So it is a three-generation family-owned agency that's been around since 1985. I definitely didn't expect to come here after I graduated, but being here now and understanding the intricacies of working with family and leaving an impact in the city makes everything all worth it for me. So that's why I'm here today. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thanks y'all for kind of like giving an intro to folks, especially um, for our listeners who aren't familiar with New Orleans at all. I think this will be a great opportunity for people to do research and to learn a little bit more, a little background. So Obviously, I've been living in New Orleans most of my life, but I did live in a few other places because my dad was in the military. But for the past like 15 years, I've been living in New Orleans. And I think really when we were at LSU, so we all went to LSU, guys. When we were going to LSU, every time I would come back home, I would like notice changes like near my high school like, on the bayou. And then my brother went to a high school that was in like the Holy Cross area. Um, and I would say like, oh my gosh, so much has changed in like these two years that I was gone. And now that I work full time for a lot of nonprofits, like I've noticed, like I have so much more conversation about all of the different changes that are happening and like the severe impact of these like fancy buildings and these Starbucks. So that's really why I wanted to have like this conversation because now that I'm in my 20s, I'm like, what can I do? Like, is it just buying a property? Is it, you know, using my voice? So I want to dive into a little bit more what you two do. Sierra, with your platform, you preserve the history, culture, and soul of Black New Orleans. I would love to dive into what that means to you and some of the impact that you've seen from that. Well, similarly, I mean, Brittany, you hit the nail on the head when you mentioned like, you know, being at LSU and coming home because, you know, we was home every weekend. (laughs) So like here and there, I didn't really realize until I graduated how much we were only an hour away from the city. But to come home every weekend and then finally, you know, graduating and moving back home, it was like the same I was here like every week. It was like (laughs) a noticeable difference. You know, I guess we were kind of coming home seeing family for somebody's birthday going right back to school. So mm-hmm. when it really was like the the noticeable change for me was really like graduating from LSU, moving back home and like really just like 
ripping and running, running errands, going around the city, like exploring. At this point, I had already created Naranola. So I'm, you know, coming across things for different stories. And it's like, I'm thinking about the amount of times, especially when I first started driving, when like my people would tell me like, oh, you know, be safe. Like, you know, there's certain areas you know not to go to at certain points at night, you know, like all by yourself. I think like, you know, that's just the reality um, of being in New Orleans. And it's like me doing this ripping and running, cutting through certain side streets. And so I'm like, all these white people on these blue bikes, like this is crazy. Like, it's like a noticeable change. Like this didn't look like this before. This, like you said, this coffee shop was not here before. I'm like, mm, this, this area is like really like shifting and like kind of seeing that noticeable change and seeing how much of that change was not like for us necessarily. Mm-hmm. I always give the scenario of like, I mean, it's great that we have, you know, so many bike lanes now and, you know, the aspect of the, the blue bikes that we had a couple of years ago and things like that. But black people have been riding their bikes in New Orleans for I don't know how long as a means of conversation. <laughs> We didn't have those like that, you know, 15 years ago. So it's crazy to see how so much of the shift was only when non-New Orleans and non-Black people started to to come to the city. And then it became trendy. And then it became, you know, we wanted to, it's it's incredible to see change, how quickly something can change or what's possible when it's not for us. And so... I'm probably going off on your question a little bit because I really no, don't. No, keep going, keep going. <laughs> that was kind of like what hit me and made this, the work even more like important in that not only just, okay, we need to tell the history because like clearly like y'all don't know this like ancestral land that y'all are walking on. Like y'all don't even know the half of like what you're playing with type of thing. But then also it's important in telling these stories to form the connection. So like, mm-hmm. I think it would be irresponsible for me to just post on Instagram about like, oh, New Orleans was once the largest slave port in the country and not forming a connection to how that affects us today. I think mm-hmm. the analysis and the connection part is so crucial because we can't separate anything from the past to what we're seeing right now. And you know, there's the people who think like, mm-hmm. History so long ago, slavery is like, oh my God, get over it. And it's like, no, like it's impossible. And New Orleans is literally like the prime example of that. So like I know. the role of of slavery, just starting with that on the United States, and you think of New Orleans' role as a slave port, you can't separate that from like the environment that we live in now, the culture. We love the culture that came from that, but we don't love <laughs> To talk about the, the negative aspects. I think it's important, like across the board, to find those connections and like have those conversations. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like for the folks who aren't familiar with gentrification, it essentially changes the character of the neighborhood. It increases, you know, the expenses, the value, the cost of living. Um, and it also kind of pushes people out of those neighborhoods. Um, specifically in New Orleans, I think gentrification is even worse because people move to certain neighborhoods for the higher ground to get away from the areas that flood. And so that leaves, you know, people who are most vulnerable, um, specifically the black community, 
two areas where either they're pushed out of their homes because they can't afford, you know, the high taxes that are happening, or, you know, they're, they're pushed out, or they're now stuck in neighborhoods with people who don't look like them. Um, so it's a severe problem here in New Orleans. And that kind of draws me to Kayla. So your family has a family, family owned, black owned, small business. Engines Hilly, holding it down. It's, no, it's so important for these businesses to continue to exist in New Orleans. And it, like it's so important. You as like a fresh out of college, like you got into your family business. I'd love to hear from you, like what that has done for you and like what has pushed your family to keep going. I went to college not expecting to come back home to the business. I did um, mass communications with public relations. And I just knew that I was going to be in D.C. at this point. especially like right after school my heart was calling me somewhere else not necessarily here but again like Sierra said coming home from school and being here on an everyday basis you see things in a different light you see what's happening to the city and on one hand you want to be happy like Sierra was saying again you want to be happy about the development but then you under you understand the intricacies of it all and why things are the way they are And so my grandparents really prepped my sister and I for the agency since we were little girls. We'd come every summer to shred papers and kind of get a feel of the business. And I totally rejected it from the start. But my sister, on the other hand, she rose to the occasion and she just knew that this was going to be her business. So I definitely had to have a few talks with myself and with my sister talking about why it's important for us, the the next generation, to stick around and kind of protect the city, be a gatekeeper in that aspect. So that definitely changed my mind, more to say, and it made me relook at everything. And I was like, I don't think I'm done with New Orleans yet. I'm trying to um, use this opportunity to to dig in with understanding my family more, understanding why they started the business, understanding what brought them to this point in their lives. And mm-hmm. and that gives you, um, I want to say, um, more of a purpose. So you understand why you're doing things you're doing and just knowing that everything happens right on time. So that's what I've been learning mm-hmm. from the whole experience. Yeah. So the family business had been around even like pre-Katrina, pretty much. And then your family is one of the families that were like, we're coming back home no matter what. Oh, yes. So we were here the second my school, shout out to St. Anthony of Padua. That's (laughs) the city. But the second they opened up after Katrina, I think it was like January 9th, we were were home immediately. So, um, but the agency, my grandparents and my dad were running it at the time and you know, they had a lot of flood claims going on. So with insurance, mm-hmm. everybody was trying to not cash in, but file their claims and get their oath so they could start rebuilding or taking the next steps for their family. So we had no choice but to be here. So we were on the ground running, like I said, as soon as we got the word, it was safe to come back. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think it's so important for like these businesses that people rely on, like especially like the older generation who might not be hip to, you know, like online insurance mm-hmm. for your business to keep running. And I can only assume like most of your clientele probably is local families, um, a lot of black folks, and a lot of people who don't want to buy into, you know, the corporate masses and they want to, um, you know, stick to what will keep New Orleans thriving. 
Yeah. And I think the most interesting thing that I've learned being here is like we have like the oldest of the old as our clients, but we also have like the younger people who are just starting out their lives. So we have like I would say like our target audiences are so vastly different, but somehow it works. So our oldest clients, they constantly come come in, mostly pre-coronavirus, um, but they come in and every time they come in, they're like, I've been here since 1985. Like, I've been here since ever. And they're like, who daughter are you? Who you granddaughter? Oh, how do you do it? I'm like, I don't know you. Um, some people come in, my sister's like, hey, auntie, hey, TD. And I'm like, who are these people? <laughs> that's that's just our clients like i'm i'm seeing everybody for the first time and i'm understanding like oh this is a real community out here it's not just like an exchange a business exchange it's really about forming that relationship and from that pr perspective too it got me thinking like oh this is a great opportunity in the communications field to increase this already established engagement here yeah, no, I mean, relationship building really is all that PR is. So, for Kale, I'm like, do you feel like location plays a role? Like, how crucial is like, you know, you know, when you on a legion field, like Swanson and Sean stands out and it's it's been there. How long uh, the sign says, like, how long it, it's been right there? How do you feel like location wise, like the role that that plays? Oh, I think that's like the biggest thing especially in a community like gentilly like i grew up in this neighborhood and most of my friends did too even though y'all are all on the team west bank over there but (laughs) no my grandma's house was two blocks from you i was there every day (laughs) (laughs) but um i think location might be the most important aspect of it all because so before we were right here we were on broad and two lane and so like the mid-city uptown area yeah and we rented in there and i think it was like in 2000 between 2009 and 2011 i'm not really sure that's when we decided to buy this building and gentilly was still pretty blighted after katrina at that point i would say even in the last two or three years been less blighted which is is where slow the progress happens and for who the progress happens again so but just knowing that we're here and we're, it's kind of like marking our territory. It's like, welcome to the community, but just know like these are the businesses here. So make sure you know who you're supposed to support. And I, I do like that we have this big building on Legion Fields because it's a, it's a sense of pride. It's like, you know, a recognition that we put in the work and we deserve what we've mm-hmm. been able to reach at this point. So it's, it's a stamp for us. It's like stamp, like yeah. here to stay. No, for sure. I, I do think location is super important um, in putting that stamp there. Like I see so much support for that young black woman who opened up the PJs in New Orleans East. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like the East doesn't get anything right. So whenever there is a business that opens there and it's black owned for the community, by the community, um, it just means so much more. And that like makes me want to think like, how could I be a better gatekeeper, right? Like what can I do <laughs> with my coins? Like how should I be saving it and how can I contribute? So have y'all like 
started to kind of think about that or I guess Sierra through your research and your you know storytelling have you found like in the past has there been like a wave of gentrification where people had to tackle this in New Orleans or do you see a pattern where there is entryway for us to become better gatekeepers well yeah I think that I think ironically like I'll like say like that first wave of gentrification came when so initially we know New Orleans was founded founded as a French city (laughs) (laughs) and when the city was just the French Quarter at the time this is where you had you know your your Europeans but you also had your enslaved Africans and you had your free people of color all in the French Quarter. Also, Algiers, but Algiers wasn't considered Algiers yet. But then once you started to have like the Americanization and the Americans coming over to the city and they're kind of building up like the central business district area, like opposite the French Quarter, the they called them the French Creoles at the time. Because if you were a French Creole, all that meant was that you were born in that land. You were from Louisiana because all these other people are coming from elsewhere. So you had like these like um, Americans come over and that's why you see the CBD architecture like nothing like the French Quarter architecture. They was beefed out and they didn't do business with each other unless it was on the neutral ground, which is why it's called the neutral ground, things like that. And like studying that period of time, I really was like, this was like gentrification. It was it was clearly mm-hmm. The people that were already here, these were the names, and they were very hard up about it because they were like, they didn't like how these American people who could not speak French was coming, changing everything. You know, they were changing the architecture. They, it was, it was a whole different wave, and they did not get along. And it was this type of thing of like they're standing their ground, and that's how you started to have, you know, uh communities build out like the Treme and then going back to like the Seven Ward and then like no opposite side of Canal Street it just looks completely different so it's interesting to see and I I don't have the numbers in front of me but it was like the numbers it was like the city had such a high black population because many were enslaved but some were also of color prior to that Americanization and once all these people started to come in they like dropped significantly for whatever reason for a, a number of different factors but yeah. it's just crazy to think like all this you saw all this new development the city got bigger and it got like nicer things but we're asking ourselves these same questions hundreds of years later like at what cost and for who you know so and it's kind of it gives a sense of hope in the sense of we've been through this before but I think that the aspect of Katrina changes everything. Of course, New Orleans is not the first or last city to have gentrification. You hear people talk about gentrification in New York happening all the time, Detroit, like all of these cities across the country. But I think New York, I mean, New Orleans is just so in that. And I feel played in the sense of it's gentrification and it's happening everywhere. But like what y'all don't understand is this happened in response to like disaster. Like, to Mm -hmm. me, the slap in the face is the fact that we saw this city lose everything. We saw how Black people in this city were treated in losing everything and also in losing their lives. 
And the fact that we saw all of this post-Katrina, we see new development. We see people who probably could have cared less about the city prior to flock into the city and, you know, not even wanting to be in the, the touristy French Quarter. They buying up our neighborhood. Like, you know, like it's, it's changing. And I think that's the, the, the thing that like really boils my blood. And I think that's what makes it so much more detrimental in that here we are still recovering post-Katrina Black New Orleans, but there are people that come down here and live their best lives. Like, you know, oh, yeah. white transplants live their best lives down here. And mm-hmm. to me, it's it's a different level of like audacity when there are so many things that we have been like battling long before Katrina. You know, the crime is not new. Like, you know, the issues with housing and stuff is not new. Like, you know, all the inequities have existed long before the storm. But the fact that like we're still battling these things on a day-to-day basis and we kind of see like they playing in our face a little bit of like, <laughs> yeah. like a tale of two cities in a very small city like New Orleans. And I think I think the Katrina element just is is the biggest the 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 important thing to have in the conversation too. You can't like ignore that. Exactly. And it's like tale of two cities, but it's like tale of two blocks. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> it's the weirdest thing here. And again, like um Sierra was saying, gentrification happens everywhere, but it's very it's very different here because of yeah. the Hurricane Katrina aspect that really made them see that as again a capitalist money grab from the people. Like we're suffering all these years later, what are we, it's about to be the 16th year anniversary. Like yeah. we're still suffering mentally that from not being able to heal properly and seeing how our federal and statewide local government deals with us in that situation. So, mm-hmm. so the city hasn't been the same since in many ways, especially when you talk about New Orleans East and what it was for us, for like I want to say all the generations growing up, but like for us, the East was our our holy grail. Like go there, you got Sam's Walmart next to each other. You got Six Flags, Jazzland out there. Like whenever I was going to the East growing up, I knew I was going to see my cousins out there and I was going to have a good time. And it's just, it breaks my heart when I go to the East now and just seeing that land lighted, mm-hmm. both of those things. And nothing came back when it had we've had multiple opportunities for things to come. So that's when you get into oh, yeah. why aren't things happening? Is it the businesses don't want to come here or is it our politicians still trying to play like it's 1982? So, <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like our generation, we're, we're looking for answers right now. We're like, things have been messed up for a hot minute now. Where is it coming from? So I think we're, a lot of us, we're in that phase of research mm-hmm. right now. We're trying to pull in as much information, whether it's from our elders, our parents, our cousins, just gathering experiences right now and really trying to pin where it's coming from or the different places and why. What you brought up about the East Kayla is so important because it was like, you know, I, you asked me about my childhood, pre-Katrina, New Orleans East. It's, I'm going to make it sound like it's like, Disneyland, <laughs> like, <laughs> but it's. I think what gets lost a lot of times is when we talk about gentrification, 
what immediately comes to mind is like, you know, like the Treme and like the Seven Ward and like parts of Uptown, a Starbucks where you wouldn't expect to see a Starbucks, a yoga studio where you wouldn't expect to see a yoga studio. But it's also like when you think about the East, all of that is like related. It's just crazy how all of these things are connected because when you start to gentrify all these other much older historically black neighborhoods and you start to displace those people and they can no longer live in the, the neighborhoods their families have lived in forever, they have to go somewhere. And simultaneously with a lot of the things in the East not coming back for a number of reasons, you also had the lower rent in the East, which nothing that doesn't sound bad in theory, but you know, this is also happening with you tear down public housing and things like that. And it's, people have to have somewhere to go. But I think geography is important too in thinking about where the East is, how large it is, how somewhat isolated it is. And so when you have people that have been displaced all over and now this is the only place, and we know how we are in New Orleans. It's like, Mm-hmm. Who are your neighborhood? So when you take people and uproot them from what they know, each neighborhood has its own character. You know somebody from uptown before they even open their mouth. You know somebody from the night walk before they even open their mouth. <laughs> people have been living there for hundreds of years. Like family lineages are from there. Right. So when you start to uproot that and you put everybody together, we didn't we didn't roll like that before, you know. So mm-hmm. I, I, I get so irritated at this like scratching of the head, like why is the East like crime is so? It's like because y'all two people in the planet nothing. Like what do you mean? Yeah, people are asking a lot of obvious questions these days and not looking for the answers. <laughs> That's the problem. <laughs> Yeah. And Kayla, you said, um, like, we're looking for the answers now, right? And I feel like it gets to a point where it's like, we have to be the answers. Like, we're not going to get it. Like, we've been asking, we're not getting the answers. Like, I feel like it gets to a point where we have to be the ones to say, like, all right, like, this is what's going to happen. Like, this is bullshit. That's bullshit. (laughs) Like, you're out of office. Like, come on, time to get the ball rolling. And it, it, like, it is a shame. Like, when I tell people, that we did used to have like a Six Flags. They're like, what? Like New Orleans? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> like you have no idea. Like you have, it's not just Bourbon Street. I promise you, like there's so much more to offer and folks are just like left out in the dust. But I, I still feel like there's still so much like possibility that can happen like throughout the city. And I feel, I relate to you, Kayla, when you were talking about like you, after graduation, you wanted to go to DC and you wanted to move. And it's like, I still have a yearning. Like I still want to like see the world and I still want to, you know, go live in like a studio apartment somewhere. But like, I also feel this ownership towards New Orleans because it's given me so much to still like reinvest here, you know, and build it up. I feel like I can't really leave the city. <laughs> like it just say like, you know what, like I'm out of here, like peace out crime, etc. all of these X, Y, Z's, like, and just forget about it. When it's like, it's, you know, built me and who I am. It's like sacrificing for the place that you love. And we wouldn't do it if we didn't know that there were better days to come here. And we're not going down without a fight, <laughs> whether it's to gentrification or to global warming, like we know that we have to be the solution because nobody's gonna love New Orleans like we love New Orleans. Nobody's so, gonna see us. We saw that. Nobody <laughs> loves <laughs> New Orleans. Exactly. So, 
But look at it. We we did save ourselves, Trina. We came down and was rebuilding our own homes. I was helping my mom like redesign the inside of our house at eight years old. We were going to we were going to Home Depot and Michaels every day after school, trying to get our house together for about two years. I had to live in a trailer for two years, and I didn't care because I was home. I, I got to see my friends. I saw that my friends were alive, which the idea of having to go through that at such a young age. Mm-hmm. So I didn't care where we were. I just knew I was home. Yeah, and I think it's I think it's crucial times too, and it's I think age plays a role. I think we're of an age where, you know, we don't necessarily have kids yet. You know, we are, like you said, Brittany, the 20 somethings where, and I like to consider myself in some cases privileged in the sense that I can even make that decision to want to stay here because there's some people who, as we know, can't leave there. And, you know, there's people who have lost their lives just existing here. So it's it's a privilege to even be able to aspire to want to like have a footprint and, and own a business. And, you know, we, we know there's so many people where it's like survival, like literally just waking up trying to get how they live. And it's like, I think the times are so crucial too, because if we don't, at a time when like everybody else is capitalizing off of New Orleans, we would be so foolish not to take ownership of that. Like, you know, there's so many, and that's, you know, I think that's kind of like what also cemented it in my brain. Honestly, being in Baton Rouge and just being an hour away, I felt the like void, which is crazy because it was like, we were home every week, but it was something <laughs> about like, I'm getting out of class early and I have the rest of the day and I'm not doing anything but sitting in the apartment all day. And it's like, put that in New Orleans, I can like drive around, you know, your neighbor might could make your day. Like, you know, you you will run into like hearing live music unexpectedly. They had a second line on my show like last night and I'm like, <laughs> you know, so it's like <laughs> these little things that while yes, there's so many factors, it's it floods all the time. <laughs> like, you know, crime is crazy. Like, this, we could go on and on about the issues, but you know that you can't get this anywhere else. And it's like, mm-hmm. you know, no matter else, no, no matter where else we go in the country or in the world, it's a matter of like, you will still be yearning for this place. And I think the point that like um, both of y'all had brought up earlier, like the city playing such a role in who we are to the point where I don't feel like myself when I'm outside of New Orleans. Like, like really, like, I don't, I think this is crucial to like my character, to my development, to like, I hate to be like that dramatic, but it's like my brain functions in a certain way when I'm here. Yeah, it's like the creativity is different when I'm here. Like, you know, and Mm -hmm. of course it's also very important to get outside experiences and I think that's how you also gain like a larger appreciation. But I think it's like if we're not bringing it back home, then to your point, who is going to do this for us? Exactly. Even when I just go like visit other cities, after two three days, I'm like I'm honestly ready to go home. Like drinks <laughs> are expensive, and it's the people aren't the same anymore. It's like oh, yeah. I, need a, I I can take a two day vacation and just be ready to come home. Because 
people aren't nice everywhere else. I like, it's like a reminder. You need a reminder that you actually live in paradise sometimes. Right. <laughs> like the food, saying, the music, the people, everything. Like Sierra was saying, on a regular day after school, if you're having a bad day, you could just go ride down the street. You're going to find somebody. You're going to find some food. You're going to find some music. Like, even last week, I was having, I was really low. I took the day off, and I was like, I'm just going to go over to a community bookstore on Bayou Road. I ended up, I just went in there to catch a vibe. See, they have almost exclusively Black-owned books in there. So I just knew I was going to grab a couple books and just keep it moving. Mm-hmm. I probably sat in there with the owner, Mama Jennifer. I probably sat in there with her for about 30 or 45 minutes just talking. And that woman has mm-hmm. such a wealth of knowledge and she was oh, yeah. willing to share it with me. And mm-hmm. mostly about New Orleans, but that lady in there, she knows the the author, the chapter, the the phrase from every book in there. I, I was just so, it was, I had to catch my breath because I was like, this is one of those moments of magic that you don't get everywhere. Like mm-hmm. a woman who's truly passionate about her craft mm-hmm. and willing to share it. I was I was taken aback because it was one of those reminders that I needed that I'm in this place. I need to take advantage of the resources and the people and the love and the culture that we're around. Mm-hmm. And just imagine how like full you, you felt leaving from there. And it's, it's that thing of like, I mean, I remember... And I always felt like, you know, the South is the South. We have like the sweet tea and the good food and we have the hospitality. But like I've been to some Southern cities and even literally just being on campus at LSU, it's programmed in my brain to tell black people, especially older black people, how you doing? That is like standard. Good morning. How you doing? Whatever. And I would catch myself doing that constantly on campus. And ain't nobody telling me how how you doing black. The older black people. And I'm like... Yeah, they looking at you crazy. What do we do? (laughs) It's kind of that thing too of like, like you said, Kayla, is like New Orleans will get your mind right in the sense of it's like, you know, sometimes you just need like that spirit of a black woman who is going to like build you up at the same time of who knows what comes out of Mama Jen's mouth, but it's going to be facts. (laughs) And you're going to go feeling more full than what you did walking in, you know? Like, I don't think you can get that anywhere else. No, not at all. Mm-hmm. No, a word. No, I think this conversation is just so, so important. And like, I hope we are touching folks who are like, you know, I need to get out or like, you know, I'm leaving New Orleans behind. Like, you know, I think it's okay to want to have other experiences, like you said, Sierra, but just like remembering where you came from and like what built you and, you know, that character that you have, like, that couldn't be built by any other city. And like, I want to leave this conversation kind of with like a piece of advice or like a challenge from each of you um, for our for our listeners to take a chance on something here or um, on how we can be better gatekeepers or, and preserve um, what it is to be a New Orleanian. It makes me think of a conversation that me and Sierra were having the other day about sometimes when we don't know what to do, or when if we have an interest in something, start with, if you want to do research, if you want to find, if you're interested in history, but again, like I said, you don't know where to start. Start with yourself. Start with your own family lineage. Um, right now, we're trying to, like I said, we're trying to find the answers. We're trying to 
recognize what our identity is in the city. So what better way to do that than to talk to your parents, your grandparents, your family members, and get a feel for your family's history? Because I promise there's so much, there's so many like incredible stories that you just haven't asked yet, asked about yet. So I would like to challenge people to reach out to their family members and just ask questions. Bring a notebook with you when you go over there, especially the older grandparents and aunties and uncles, you think they're all down and out. But when you start asking them about their stories, they light up like they're 25 years old. Like my grandma's 89. When I start asking her about my grandpa, you think she's 32 right now. Yeah, I think similarly, mine was going to be taking that time out to study the history, both the the Black history of the city, but also your your family history, your family story, as Kayla said. I think mm-hmm. you start to, because you know, some people may, may trace their family history and slave trade had us all over. You don't know. You mm-hmm. go a couple generations back, you're in Virginia or you in Mississippi or you whatever, but you know where you're from and where your feet are planted and, and where you were raised. And we know Black New Orleans is connected to each other present and past. And I think that in understanding the history and knowing, you know, to if you live in the in the ninth ward right now and you find out that this black New Orleans woman started a spiritual church in the mud, in the marshland of the night ward and had people coming from all over and she's healing them with all these these natural like remedies and what she was able to do. I'm talking about Mother Captain Seals here. It's, it's just one example of you start to gain an appreciation for where you are and what you come from. You know, I think across the board, we just have not been taught our story Black history in, in, you know, the textbooks and the U.S. history classrooms. And when we don't know our role here, then you start to, you know, you start to see yourself the way they see us. If, if you think your whole existence is reduced to two paragraphs in a textbook, this is why you see, you know, conflict amongst each other. It's not for any other reason besides we have not been taught the full story. So we have a little deeper and, and really start to like elevate those stories, the good and the bad, the success stories and, and the, the traumatic ones, because that's the, the full picture that we need to really understand. Like, look what we've done, look what we've been through, and then look at the role of New Orleans and all of that. And it's like we mm-hmm. can't go anywhere. Like and we and we won't be because look at like what we, you know, what we descend from. Exactly. Mm-hmm. What we built here. Mm-hmm. Like, no, that was beautifully said from both of you. I I uh, <laughs> co-signed both of those. Um, especially yesterday, I was in a museum in BR. I was in the State Museum. I mean, I was like pinpointing stuff. I was like, eh, this needs to be rewritten. That needs to be rewritten. But I mean, they had like they had like the general gist, you know. So I was like, yeah, but there really is so much that goes beyond like what the museums and the textbooks like say. And like I've been questioning my grandma about like, wait, can you tell me like what is it like like the French Creole language, right? Like we don't I can't speak a word, I can't speak a lick of French. And I'm like, it's like a tra- like tragedy. And I know my great grandma's like rolling in her grave right now because like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like where's the culture? Like it's all right. so like no for sure. I think those are great 
pieces to leave folks with. And I'm going to share both of your, your uh, at so that people can go stalk y'all, find out more information. Um, but I thank y'all so much for giving me time today. Um, I think this was, this was such a good conversation. And I feel like we're going to have a part two like later down the road. Oh, yeah, I think we definitely need one. <laughs> no, thank y'all so much. Thank you, Brittany. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be on the <laughs>